Well, we have a space in that underwriter slot, too. You can call Office 923-2513 during business hours, ask to speak to our underwriting representative, Rochelle, and you, too, could be supporting KMUD. And uh, it's time for Ask Your Herb Doctor in just a minute. I know a whole bunch of people are tuning in from around the nation and around the world, and please consider clicking the Donate button on our website because we're not exactly your community radio station, but you're listening to us, therefore we are your community radio station, and we could really use some of your economic support going into our rural backwoods pockets because we're kind of broke around here. We do provide programming, which is unique to the global world, and uh, would appreciate your support for it. We are Redwood Community Radio, KMED Garberville, KMUE Eureka, KLAI Laytonville, and KMUD.org, where the views and opinions expressed throughout the broadcast day are those of the speakers and not necessarily those of the station, its staff, underwriters, or volunteers. Time is made available for all sorts of viewpoints, and thank you so much for joining us. So let me get the theme music started, and then I'll answer the phone. I don't think it's the doctor yet, but... Okay, I have the good doctors. Welcome to this month's Ask Your Herb Doctor. My name's Andrew Murray. My name's Sarah Johannesson Murray. Welcome to our show this evening. Uh, For those of you who perhaps have never listened to the show, they run every third Friday of the month from 7 to 8 p.m. We're both uh, registered medical herbalists. Uh, I graduated from England, and Sarah graduated graduated from England with the... (laughs) master's degree in herbal medicine. Um, We produce and manufacture extracts of um, different herbs that are used commonly in Europe as herbal medicines. And um, we want to 
establish the truth uh, in these uh, monthly radio shows surrounding alternatives uh, to the regular medicines, uh, just so people have alternatives to look at and examine for themselves. So you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor, KMUD 91.1 FM, uh, from 7.30 till the end of the show at 8 o'clock. Uh, you're invited to call in with questions related or unrelated to this month's continuing topic of COVID-19. And um, the number is 707-923-3911. That's 707-923-3911 from 7.30 till the end of the show at 8 o'clock. Uh, once again, uh, we're very pleased to have Dr. Raymond Pete join us. Dr. Pete? Yes, hi. Well, thanks for joining us again. Um, before I go into the introduction to this month's uh, lineup here with uh, questions for you and new evidence, uh, just trying to get to the bottom of all of this and find the truth, uh, would you just outline your professional and your academic background for people listening who perhaps have not heard of you before? I'm from the University of Oregon, uh, 1960, I got a master's degree uh, in humanities-related uh, subjects, then in uh, 1972, uh, PhD in biology, uh, uh, concentrating on uh, physiology, especially uh, the reproductive physiology in aging. Uh, and uh, since 1972, I've been uh, uh, writing and studying uh, and doing uh, some uh, counseling. Okay, well, very good. And for those people that are listening, uh, both now and at the end of the show, I'll give out your information, Dr. P, so people can find out more for themselves. It's www.raypeat.com, uh, and there's lots of articles uh, written by you but fully referenced. And uh, as I said at the beginning of the show, the truth, uh, <laughs> if you listen and you hear me, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I wanted to just preface the uh, introduction for this month uh, by saying that it's not for pointing the finger of blame, but for the freedom uh, which knowledge can bring. Is the Internet a platform for destabilizing central control and disseminating information in the objective scientific form, which is impartial and non-political? I've always quoted in these monthly radio shows from time to time since they started with KMUD back in 2004 that... Uh, saying the words, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Uh, there are many crying out in the wilderness, as it were, of the world wide web, battling censorship and oppression to tell the truth, uh, and none more so than the people of China uh, under the authoritarian Chinese Communist Party with its self-proclaimed lockstep mentality, uh, with the Tiananmen Square massacre being the pivotal, uh, pivotal side beginning. Uh, of this tragic oppression and government control of a beautifully poetic, creative, intelligent, and skilled nation's people. Now, information and knowledge cannot be silenced in a free world or democracy protecting its inalienable and sovereign rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, as we've mentioned before, enshrined in our Constitution. And with it, the truth is paramount to level the playing field. So with this in mind, the revelation uh, this week of Dr. Li Meng Yen, and we'll go over the biography and contact details. He's an MD and PhD scientist working in the Hong Kong School of um, Public Health who since fled to 
to the U.S. to escape persecution uh, from the uh, Chinese uh, the PCPP, the Chinese People, uh, Chinese People's. Oh gosh, it's gone. It's, it's escaped my mind. I'm sorry. The uh, Chinese Communist Party, the CCP. I beg your pardon. Okay, so. Basically, she's saying that um, COVID-19 was engineered uh, in the Wuhan laboratory, and it's revelational. Although we have heard from other people that I wanted to question you about to begin with, like Dr. Luc Montagnier, the Nobel Prize winner for his discovery of AIDS. But it's not the first time that this has been alluded to, but uh, another voice in the wilderness, as it were, not for blaming, but for the truth to come out. Uh, it's been posited by Dr. Luc Montagnier, as I mentioned, the Nobel Prize winner um, in for finding AIDS in 82, that COVID has been genetically altered and has some elements of malaria and HIV in its genome. And that um, perhaps the researchers in Wuhan were, were attempting to create a vaccine for AIDS. I know that's been mentioned, but uh, the National Biosafety Lab in Wuhan specializes in these different coronaviruses and since the early 2000s done, done the, so, the same. Uh, so not for blaming China, but uh, to navigate these waters that we as a species now find ourselves, uh, you know, faced with and, and to cover the actual mortality of this disease and how this event is profoundly affecting our freedom and association, uh, that's the reason that we're doing this. So thanks again for joining us, Dr. P. Before we started, um, can I just go back to somewhat the beginning in April that this uh, Nobel Prize winner, uh, Dr. Luke, uh, Montagnier's interview on French TV, I know it had subtitles to it, but because uh, I don't think he speaks English, but it was in French. He was saying that it was quite clearly uh, genetically altered, and it was kind of revelational, blew my mind when I heard it. And, um, you know, he's a Nobel Prize winner, not a conspiracy theorist. So, um, as I said in the beginning, it, just the facts, you know, so we can have the truth and the truth can set us free. What do you think of the, the reference to those two diseases in the genome? Because some people on the Internet will say, well, there are other coronaviruses that have uh, elements of malaria and HIV in them. I mean, is that – do you see that? Do you think it's possible? Oh, um, naturally, when someone prominent like that points out how easy it is to engineer such a virus, people jump on it and say, no, it isn't possible to. Uh, created in a lab uh, uh, earlier, uh, a couple months earlier, I think, uh, when people were talking about it uh, coming out of a, a germ warfare lab or, or being deliberately released, uh, some of the people involved in working on the virus uh, immediately published a, a paper in Nature. Uh, Nature serves as, uh, in many ways, the, the uh, voice of uh, the establishment, uh, military establishment, and uh, secret government establishment. But uh, they published a paper claiming uh, that it was impossible to create that particular virus in a lab. But uh, I had been reading for a long time uh, publications coming out of North Carolina, University of North Carolina, a lab of Ralph Berrick, uh, and he was describing in detail uh, the changes uh, that they made in coronaviruses and uh, other similar viruses, and specifically how to make them more infectious to humans, uh, changing an animal virus to 
a virus that would be infectious in humans. So Luc Montagnier simply applied his knowledge of virology and and quickly could demonstrate <clears throat> the specific changes that had been made. Now this is directly directly opposing the Geneva Con Convention, right? When they outlawed biological uh, um, and other weapons. Um, yeah, uh, uh, Richard Nixon <clears throat> was one who closed uh, the germ warfare lab in the United States in 1969, uh, and uh, the, there was a general, uh, I think, treaty recognition around the world uh, that no one would continue uh, designing uh, lethal uh, viruses for military use, but uh, they immediately started saying that just in case someone violates uh, the convention uh, and does produce one, uh, we need to have a vaccine ready, so we'll have to make uh, these extremely dangerous viruses so we can practice making a vaccine. Even though historically, for decades, people have been trying to make a vaccine against common cold viruses, never succeeded mm -hmm. because the viruses changed so fast. So the story that they were having to make toxic human infecting viruses out of animal viruses so they could make a vaccine in case someone else made them. Uh, at, at best, uh, there were 200 virologists who, who signed a letter uh, saying this is crazy because uh, even with the best precautions, uh, accidents happen. Uh, in fact, in the Fort Detrick uh, lab, I think there were a thousand uh, accidents identified which could have uh, leaked toxic uh, viruses into the environment. Uh, they happen every few days in even these highest security labs. Uh, someone forgets to uh, turn a valve or, or uh, uh, clean, clean the pipes or uh, uh, put, a, put on a mask or, or whatever, but uh, the accidents are essentially unavoidable. So if you're designing, they call it gain-of-function research, a virus that never could infect mammals or humans, for example, they find out what the viruses, how the viruses that do infect humans, what they use to become infectious. And then they simply take the genes creating those proteins and insert those genes into some virus that produces the symptoms they want to produce. So it's very standard gene engineering. There's nothing impossible about pretty much making any DNA sequence you want. You can change one base at a time, or you can take a block of genes out of a virus and transfer that as a block. So uh, the, the in engineering is all very well standardized and, and known around the world. I wonder how on earth is it allowed, though, because it uh, sounds like 
exact contravention of the Geneva Convention, isn't it? Um, uh, yeah, uh, and there are, I forget how many of these labs around the world, the Republic of Georgia has a big one similar to the Wuhan lab or the North Carolina lab. Uh, one of the African countries, I forget which, Nigeria, or, or one, one country of a very strange place to be making uh, uh, toxic viruses. Uh, but uh, I, I think Romania is another country that has a lab where you would be, be very surprised that they had the technology to, to uh, work at that level or any reason to do so. Well, isn't that why Dr. Fauci went to Wuhan in the first place was because the U.S. government didn't want him doing that type of research and experimentation uh, yeah, after in the those, U.S.? After those 200 virologists uh, said there should be uh, some serious thought given to this uh, practice, uh, there was a moratorium placed, and uh, almost immediately uh, Fauci transferred technology to Wuhan. Okay, so if this coronavirus, COVID-19, was engineered in a lab in Wuhan, and it has gene sequences from AIDS and malaria and who knows what else, what what do you think about people getting sick with it? Do you think there's going to be long-term consequences? Do you think it... Uh, it, it has turned out uh, to be uh, slightly more infectious than a standard flu or cold virus. Uh, uh, definitely more infectious, but uh, not really uh, much more harmful in the sense of, of killing people. Well, could there be any long-term um, effect because they've altered this virus? Uh, yeah, all, all of the uh, things like influenza that uh, create serious respiratory disease, syncytial uh, respiratory virus, uh, uh, and the coronaviruses and influenza, these all create inflammation in the lungs and throughout the body, uh, the, the clotting diseases that they have claimed are specific to coronavirus. That's been knowledge for, I think, about 30 years that people after an attack of influenza are more likely to have a stroke or other blood clotting event, heart attacks and strokes, because of the inflammation in the lungs damages the lung's ability to detoxify hormones. For example, uh, almost all of the body's uh, inflammation creating serotonin uh, travels uh, from the intestine through the blood to the lungs. A, a little bit is detoxified in the liver, but most of it is destroyed in a healthy lung, uh, stopping uh, the inflammatory process that excess serotonin could cause. Uh, but if you knock out your lungs' ability uh, by inflaming them with influenza, uh, then the serotonin goes on to cause uh, vascular spasms, uh, clots, uh, uh, various 
kinds of uh, inflammation uh, throughout the body, uh, all of the strange things that have been uh, blamed on coronavirus, it's simply the result of seriously inflamed lungs. And the, for some reason, the standardized reaction imposed from above on hospitals was to quickly give respiratory pumping a slightly higher concentration oxygen directly into their lungs. And when you accelerate breathing, increase the oxygen delivery to the lungs, that in itself creates inflammation, reduces the lungs' ability to detoxify serotonin, leads to all of the inflammatory things getting worse. So the extremely high mortality rate in the early weeks when they were practically in some hospitals, they were putting a tube in the, all of the COVID-diagnosed patients, and they were having from 60 to 100% mortality in those hospitals. But in nearby hospitals where they had someone actually thinking about what's needed when you have inflamed lungs, they had essentially zero mortality, showing that almost 100% of the mortality was caused by ignorant application of these respirators. So do you think that this COVID-19, because it's been genetically engineered in a lab, do you think it's more dangerous than just a normal coronavirus influenza, or do you think it causes the same amount of, and the same type of damage in the lungs as the normal flu, and it's not anything? Uh, the rate of, of deaths per infection are very, very slightly higher than influenza, but it's something that you have to look very hard to find the greater mortality per infection. It's In practical sense, it's just a bad flu season. The whole panic has no basis at all. When you consider the, the uh, un unemployment and loss of businesses is going to increase mortality from other uh, causes. Uh, that very, very small increase in uh, respiratory disease mortality uh, is dwarfed by the uh, harm you're doing to the world population by uh, knocking out the economy. So in a bad flu year, I think it was like 2017, 88,000 people died of influenza, and that was considered a bad year. And now Worldometer says there's 203,000 deaths from coronavirus or <clears throat> COVID-19, but we don't really know if that's all COVID-19. Like even Deborah Burke said that there's going to be a percentage of those deaths that are being labeled. You know, the CDC, Deborah Burke, said there's a percentage of those deaths, 203,000 deaths, that are the other types of influenza that kill people every year. 
So and, when and you say it's just like a, a little bit slightly worse than a bad flu year, are you taking that into consideration? Uh, uh, yeah, the, the uh, instructions given uh, for filling out uh, death certificates uh, and, and for diagnosing, um, uh, there, there is really no clear uh, definition of how to tell when someone is sick from uh, the coronavirus uh, or uh, whether the coronavirus is uh, simply incidental to some other cause of their uh, pneumonia and sickness. Uh, but right. by, by the instructions they were given, if there was evidence of the presence of a virus and the person died, uh, then you had to disregard that they uh, died of, of a car accident or cancer or heart disease or, or uh, bacterial uh, pneumonia. Uh, if, if they died and had the uh, presence of the coronavirus, uh, they were said to have died from coronavirus. Uh, absolutely illogical, unscientific, uh, un unmedical. Well, the CDC also came out with, in the last month, a statistic saying that 94% of coronavirus fatalities or COVID-19 fatalities, so deaths, were actually comorbidities that people who died had heart disease and or diabetes and other um, conditions, chronic disease that could, could have killed them and they weren't 100% sure if it was a COVID-19 death. Uh, yeah, when you look at the phony uh, diagnosis of death cause, uh, it looks like it might not even be as harmful as, as a standard influenza virus. Uh, it's hard to tell because there's no science being done. Uh, it, it's all uh, political uh, decisions. So I guess we just have to wait until... It's all the information is out and all the figures are out. And then you look at the excess mortality and did more people die in 2020 than in 2019, 2018, you know, and look at it for years back and compare. Is that what you basically think is the um, only way to know? Normally the CDC has taken two weeks for years past. Within two weeks, the death figures coming in from around the country had been compiled uh, and uh, remained stable. Uh, but uh, the first few months of 2020 showed many fewer people dying from all causes in the U.S. And then in uh, midsummer, the CDC went back and altered figures as far back as 25 weeks and raised the, uh, the death figures so that they conformed to the usual uh, preceding years. Uh, but uh, until they did that <clears throat> uh, historically unprecedented long-range revision of, of history, uh, uh, fewer deaths had occurred in the U.S. than in a normal year. So basically, we won't really know, because if they're able to alter the figures that way, how do we know any of the figures are true at all? That's my opinion. Okay, you're listening to Ask Europe, Dr. KMV, Garbable, 91.1 FM.
from 7.30 till the end of the show at 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in with questions related or unrelated to the ongoing discussion surrounding coronavirus, its origin, uh, the treatment, etc. Uh, the number is 707-923-3911. Once again, 707-923-3911. Our guest speaker is Dr. Raymond P. And so we Dr. have a P. caller already. Yes. Okay. Well, let's let's go ahead and take this call and see see where we're going with questions. See if they're uh, you're on the air, caller. Where are you from? What's your question? I'm from the East Coast. Um, just just one comment on your line of discussion, and then I did have a, a separate question. Um, <clears throat> the lady was right in China that it was released there, but um, there's a patent in 2003. This has been worked on for more than a decade. In 2007, they changed the patent to make it private. And uh, as Dr. Pete alluded to, in 2015, when they shut down the, the Fort Dietrich lab, they moved it and they funded Wuhan with $3.7 million. <clears throat> this has been premeditated for more than a decade. So Yes, and we did discuss that at one of our earlier coronavirus shows. Yeah. So, so yeah, the, the lady's half right, but it's, it's, it's plausible deniability for both countries. Anyway, um, my question relates to... Um, to something that I've not found on any of your information that relates to a, a tear of a, a tendon, which I just connects a muscle with a bone. And in particular, I know someone with a, two rotator cuff tears, um, partial tear in one of the rotator cuff muscles and, 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 and another full tear. And so he's in his mid-60s, so as a result, um, you know, with lack of arm mobility, if you don't actually move it around, you can actually get what they guess they call frozen shoulder. And even in the absence of surgery, it can take from what I'm told one to three years to get, you know, even partial recovery. So my question relates to whether you've had any experience with folks that have had these types of injuries. And, and just a point on the current technology for surgery is to um, in, incorporate a, a, a suture which stays in there the whole time and a, a non-metal um, connector, which I believe is some plastic material and non-metal material that goes into the bone so that you can connect the tendon to the bone so that, you know, over time it will reattach. But absent that, it'll never reattach. And so I'm just wondering, that's a pretty difficult and very technical area of the, the body, and I'm just wondering whether in the circumstances for current technology you have any views on having a suture in a non-metal plastic piece forever for the rest of your life versus sort of just doing nothing and keeping it detached or both of them partially. Well, how about this, um, Dr. Pete? What, what do you think of platelet-rich plasma? Uh, actually, actually, Andrew, Andrew, that's a separate yeah. question. I'd like to ask okay, some, we, hang on, hang on a minute question. until you uh, let Dr. Pete answer that, and then if you want to hang tight there, you can ask your next question. You said no, one no, question no, at I, time, I, just, so. I just have the question that I asked about the, the, the rotator cuff and the surgery. That's my yeah, question. Yeah, we're, ans we're yeah, answering that exactly question. What I was, we're asking Dr. Pete what yeah. he thinks of platelet-rich yeah, plasma. Yeah, if you listen to, the, listen to the question, you'd understand it, Carla. So, Dr. Pete, would you, uh, would you think that platelet-rich plasma might be a suitable... Uh, uh, modality to try to kind of re Andrew, Andrew I'm sorry if I can interrupt. I'm asking him a question okay, about the Okay, engineer, suit. you know, I don't want to deal with this call. He's pretty antagonistic and won't let Dr. Pete talk, so can we just hold him up? Uh, if a person is in perfect health 
when some kind of uh, unusual accident uh, causes that uh, rotator cuff injury, uh, then uh, a surgery has a pretty good chance of uh, making a permanent uh, repair because the tissues are, are strong and uh, can uh, tolerate the uh, implanted materials. But uh, usually it happens when the person is in their uh, 40s or 50s right. and is experiencing hormonal uh, changes, uh, uh, increased stress hormones that weaken the connective tissues. Uh, and uh, there are treatments uh, such as the uh, the platelet-rich plasma that, that will uh, stimulate uh, fibrous uh, tissue growth. Uh, but uh, I think the essential thing is to uh, restore the uh, hormonal balance that builds healthy uh, connective tissue, gets the ratio of cortisol uh, to the protective uh, DHEA, testosterone, uh, and progesterone, and, and pregnenolone, uh, lowers that ratio of, of cortisol uh, so that the uh, connective tissues uh, repair themselves rather than being uh, weakened by the stress hormones. Uh, and uh, I've known, I, I guess, half a dozen uh, shoulder uh, people, some knee people, uh, and uh, various uh, other connective tissue uh, diseases such as uh, uterine prolapse, uh, 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 hernias in various places, uh, midline or, or groin hernias, uh, that uh, instead of having to implant a, a plastic or metal repair material, uh, if they get their uh, anti-stress system back, uh, sometimes just taking uh, adequate amounts of vitamin D will toughen up the connective tissues. Uh, vitamin D works uh, on uh, the fascia and tendons and ligaments as, as well as the bones, uh, toughening everything and, and helping to keep things in their proper place. So, so I just want to say for me, everyone listening, it's vitamin D, like the sunshine hormone, yeah, not I, vitamin D. I heard him. Let me just hard. ask a follow-up. So they also mentioned to him that cortisone shot would be good because initially – after the injury, the inflammation on an MRI was extremely obvious. And, you know, I've just, you've discussed the, the negatives of cortisone. So to your earlier point, applying, like, progesterone in a, like, 5 or 6 to 1 ratio with DHEA on the location and maybe putting CO2 gas over the area might be alternatives to try to get the inflammation down uh, yeah, using if, red if light. Enough, is there any, what, are these the right methods, or are there other things that should be done, or do you think cortisone shot in this instance may be appropriate? Um, uh, no, anti-inflammatories uh, are, are safer than, than cortisol or, or the synthetic uh, glucocorticoids that they use, which are even worse than cortisol. Right. Uh, uh, but um, getting enough into the tissue is the essential thing. And uh, you, usually these people have supplemented them orally uh, as well as uh, anointing the, the areas very thoroughly, uh, the arm, the shoulder, the torso around uh, the, the injured area, for example, or, or the, the whole leg in the case of, of the knee. But, but uh, getting the, the body level 
up to the point that your natural stress-induced cortisol isn't going to be counteracting the healing process. Testosterone supplements can contribute to the process if they're balanced with vitamin D and thyroid hormone and anti-inflammatories. So the topical thing you were talking about, was that the progesterone combination I was talking about or some other substance? Yeah, people have generally used a mixture of progesterone and DHEA, sometimes with testosterone when that was available. Well, I'm using it without it. I mean, it's actually like six, seven to one because I guess topically, it, you know, you got to get 10 times the amount, I guess, to, but, but I don't know if that's the right ratio or whether it matters. But I'm a little concerned that if you're older, like if you're over 60, that the conversion to estrogen with the DHA is a problem because there's no doubt that, um, you know, anybody over 60, maybe other than you, is subclinically hypothyroid. Yeah, that's the reason for making sure that your vitamin D and calcium intake and thyroid hormone are all adequate to keep your estrogen under control so that you don't turn your DHEA and testosterone into estrogen. Okay, so just the last confirmation, and I'll let you go, and I appreciate the clarity of your answer. Is so if there if the if there's only one technique that's used today by the best doctors, and that is to put some sort of non-metal piece into the bone and have a suture in there, where literally they both remain there for the rest of your life, you're not troubled by the fact that you know maybe it disintegrates or maybe you know. Uh, uh, yeah, that's exactly the problem. Uh, dental oh. implants are the same idea. Uh, you have to look at the hormonal situation. Uh, some people uh, have uh, very, very bad results from implanting anything. Uh, if you're in good health generally, uh, you might be able to tolerate implants without uh, symptoms. Yeah, So, but if, if you have a tendon that's detached from the bone and you don't reconnect it, how do you get... We've got a bunch of other callers. Yeah, let's... Uh, I appreciate your call, caller from New York, and I think you've had plenty of time. Uh, if you need to ask anything else, perhaps uh, email, uh, that would be a good idea. So uh, if we have other callers in the uh, wings there, uh, engineer, you want to pass them through, uh, let's take this next caller, call you on the air. What's your oh, question? Oh, it's busy. They gave up. <laughs> We've got <laughs> a slot that. open now. Okay. okay, well, I just want to say something about the DHEA and... Um, the testosterone use with people that might be supplementing with these hormones. Um, Dr. Pete usually recommends no more than 5 to 10 milligrams for a woman, 5 milligrams for a woman under 50, maybe up to 10 for a woman over 50. And then for men, 10 milligrams, maybe 20 milligrams, Dr. Pete. I know sometimes you've said that's okay. But what you've also said, Dr. Pete, is that taking a blood test to check your levels of estradiol when you're supplementing with DHEA, it's a good idea because you don't want to be getting too high estradiol levels when you're supplementing with DHEA. Um, uh, yeah, uh, even 10 milligrams a day can be uh, far too much for someone who's hypothyroid or lacking vitamin D. And that's another thing you can get tested with a blood test is vitamin D. So it, um, these hormones might be very useful for people, but it's also 
common that I come across clients who are taking 25 to 50 milligrams of DHEA a day, and they're not going to their doctor and asking for any blood tests to look at the levels of estradiol and make sure those aren't rising to dangerous levels. Uh, yeah, and in connection with, with the uh, ligament detachment, if a thing is immobilized and kept in uh, the proper relationship to the bone, uh, regrowth is going to happen. Things spontaneously grow together. But I've also heard that when people have their ligaments detached around their knee, that surgery is only 50% effective. So half of the people who have detached ligaments heal up just fine, so they must reattach. And half the people who get the surgery do good on it, and half don't. So it, that must be possible if statistics like that come out. Okay, you listen to Ask Europe, Dr. Kami D. Galvaville, 91.1 FM. Uh, from now until the end of the show, 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in the questions uh, either related to coronavirus or uh, allied to it. Uh, number is 707-923-3911, Dr. Raymond Peake, guest speaker. Uh, do we have any other callers waiting there? Uh, Engineer, do we have... Uh, no, yeah. we don't. We only have one slot open because it's crowded here. So, yes, give a Go call, on. and Go if on. it's busy, call back. <laughs> okay. All right, so, Dr. Pete. Um, between Luc Montagnier, I wanted to just uh, highlight this other whistleblower, quote-unquote. Um, between Luc Montagnier, Nobel Prize winner, who's saying that this virus is engineered, and Ralph Barrick's lab <clears throat> in North Carolina saying that the spike protein had definitely been altered. Uh, the latest uh, to come to the fore, although I did see an earlier post from this person, but I don't think the uh, press picked it up, and this was just a couple of days ago, a uh, Dr. Li Meng-Yen, who's a virologist uh, in um, Hong Kong, she basically is completely blowing the whistle on, online, on the Internet, from various outlets. Uh, you can type her name in into a YouTube search. Uh, so her name is Li, L-I, space, M-E-N-G, space, Y-E-N, uh, I did see uh, there was a uh, Fox News interview with Tucker Carlson, and there was a hashtag loose women um, post where four so Europeans, actually, those are British uh, uh, e either uh, public figures or newscasters, and they were all women uh, in England who were interviewing her. And she said categorically that it was manufactured. She was basically threatened. Uh, to be silenced, or as she called it, disappeared, um, and that she is about to release uh, just the facts, the Ver facts and verifiable evidence. evidence. Yeah, that this uh, this virus was indeed engineered, and uh, she says it's uh, completely, uh, you know, the Chinese Communist Party are completely behind silencing this, and that's why I asked you earlier, Dr. Pete, that the typical explanation is given is that they're doing research. Uh, vaccine research, which, you know, is altruistic and is helping people. Um, but you've mentioned already that this is something that's actually so close to breaking the Geneva Convention uh, because it's kind of it's so easy to cover it up this way by saying that's what they were doing rather than producing some biological weapon. Um, so people that are listening, that you can all go on YouTube and you can type in the name Li Meng Yen, uh, she'll confirm what uh, Luke Montagnier and Ralph Barrick uh, have revealed. 
and um, that's another part of parcel of the internet and uh, free speech. That's what I um, broke the beginning of the show in. And we have so, callers. Well, great. Let's take this next caller. Caller, you're on the air. Where are you from? What's your question? Hi, is this me? Yeah, you're on the air. What's your question, caller? Hi, this is Bruce from Garberville, and I'd like to know what Dr. Pete thinks of the inhalation of Brown's gas or hydrogen gas. Uh, inhalation or drinking it in infused water. And I'll take my answer on the air. Thank you. I'm glad you're there. Thank you. Thank you for your call. Did, did you get that question, Dr. Pete? Uh, breathing hydrogen gas? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it's anti-inflammatory. Uh, I think the right percentage of carbon dioxide uh, is the most important thing. Uh, and uh, since we make our own carbon dioxide, uh, uh, avoiding uh, hyperventilation or, or uh, being dosed with uh, concentrated oxygen is uh, the first thing to consider. But uh, breathing a little hydrogen is anti-inflammatory. Okay, there you go. And we have another caller. Okay, good. All right, caller, you're on the air. Where are you from? What's your question? Hi, neighbors. It's Tara. I'm so grateful for your viewpoints on COVID. I tuned in a little bit late, but I'm, I don't know if you've addressed the mask issue. You are, so yeah, I'm gonna go, wondering if you, did on, if you could, or I can yeah, sure. go back and listen well, that, if you uh, have. That's a good reminder. Thank it's you. I'm going yeah. hear it off the it's air. A, Thank you so much. It just came Thank out. Thank you for your call. It just came out uh, this week. Uh, it was another interview. Um, actually, it was the same one for Dr. Lee Merrick. She was talking about the futility of wearing masks. And last month, um, we did a, a show, which that was one of the questions, um, and saying that essentially the, the micron size of coronavirus is far smaller than an N95 mask and filter out, so that you are going to get not only uh, respired, uh, particles through the mask, but that they are not proper um, bacteriological respirators. So they are going to leak, um, you know, air from the nose, uh, et cetera, around the folds of the nose. And so they're not at all uh, patent. They're not competent. And a simple uh, cloth mask is even sillier uh, because the pores right. are uh, gigantic in comparison to the size of the virus, which is uh, one-eighth of, of a micron in, in diameter. Uh, and uh, recently, the, the smoke exposure has been uh, causing uh, uh, increased sickness and probably death uh, from heart disease and, and respiratory uh, problems, uh, asthma and kidney disease, uh, overlapping uh, greatly with uh, things blamed on, on the uh, viruses. Uh, uh, the uh, smoke particles that are most toxic are uh, just the size of the coronavirus and smaller uh, all the way down to uh, uh, about a, a tenth at the diameter of even the coronavirus. Uh, and uh, so uh, for uh, big particles of soot or dust, an N95 mask is very helpful, uh, but for uh, even average-sized bacteria, uh, and especially the sub-micron size of the 
uh, coronavirus and uh, smoke particles. Uh, they do very little to protect you. There's a great YouTube video <clears throat> by Lee Merritt, and it's called SARS-CoV-2 and the Rise of Medical Technocracy. So you guys can look that up if you want to watch some more detail about why mask wearing is just not scientific. Yeah, it's basically that's it. It's not scientific, and that's what we tried to bring out last month, but we were uh, we received a few heated calls about it, but um. Uh, unfortunately, it's part and parcel of the world we're living in, and sometimes the science uh, gets derailed by uh, authoritarianism, I think, and that's what's uh, part and parcel of this ongoing pandemic. And you've got another caller. Okay, good. So, caller, you're on the air. Where are you from? What's your question? I am calling from Bryceland. I'd like to ask a simple question. Uh, in fact, a yes or no uh, answer would be perfect. Does wearing a mask reduce spread? Thank you. All right. Dr. P, how would you weigh in on that one? There is no scientific evidence that it does. So I, I would say no, but uh, in uh, waiting for further research, uh, it's a possibility that it does, but in the absence of evidence, uh, uh, there were, I think it was 17 uh, properly controlled uh, studies uh, properly interpreted uh, on, on the right sort of populations uh, and uh, the, the uh, honest sort of evaluation at the end of the study, all of those 17 have failed to produce any evidence. Okay, Mud. Yeah. No, no, you, go. you got to ask yourself. You got to ask yourself. You're next in uh, line. Michael, Please listen on your phone. You, oh. <laughs> okay, so Sorry. Dr. I have a question for you. Does wearing a mask help your health in any way by increasing your CO2 that you rebreathe? Hello? Um, Dr. The, the problem uh, with using a, a Hello? barrier like a mask to increase your CO2, uh, if you... Uh, have a breathing tube uh, that can uh, be therapeutic because it doesn't uh, increase the pressure. But the problem with a barrier, uh, like especially an N95 mask, uh, when you inhale, uh, you have great resistance sucking air through that uh, fine poured filter and blowing it out. Then you increase the the pressure. You have alternating vacuum and pressure on your lungs. That alternating pressure creates inflammation in itself. So if you, if you have to wear a mask to go into a store, then the cloth masks are safer is what you're saying. Um, yeah, yeah. And you have another caller, as you probably heard from my okay. mistakes a minute ago. <laughs> okay. Good caller, you're on the air. Where are you from? What's your question? Hello. Yeah, you're on the air. Where, where are you from and what's your question? My name's Mike, and I want to know if a vapor mask for uh, uh, painters with cloth uh, over it is of any value. A cloth over what? A painter's mask. Is a painter's mask, it's like an N95 mask, isn't it? No, no, no. I think he left, but he called it a vapor mask. 
Oh, a vapor mask. That to me implies it's charcoal or something to take care of all the turpentine. But I don't know if if someone has more information, they could call back. I probably yeah, don't think it's sub-micron enough. But anyway, Karen, Dr. Pete. Uh, particles uh, of the sub-micron uh, diameter uh, are uh, the the main thing causing uh, lung disease, uh, both viruses and uh, particles such as. Uh, soot or, or silica, uh, uh, metal powders, uh, uh, oxides, and so on, uh, all of those uh, cause uh, serious systemic and especially lung inflammation. But uh, when you're around uh, chemical uh, fumes, uh, a carbon uh, filter is very, very helpful. Uh, if you have a, a very good big uh, carbon filter, uh, that's going to take the chemicals out, but not the particles. Okay, so it will help with chemicals, but not with uh, a viral particles like COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, you're listening to Ask Europe, Dr. Kamey D. Garberville, 91.1 FM. Uh, for the last eight minutes or so to show you're welcome to call in with questions uh, related or unrelated to the uh, coronavirus discussion. Uh, the number is 707-923-3911. Okay, so do we have any more calls, or should we continue uh, to the next No, question? continue on, and callers better okay. get a caller in soon, because I always let you have the last four minutes to get your info out. Sure. All right. Well, if they come in the next couple of minutes, we'll take them for sure. Uh, Dr. Pete, I, um, I saw a uh, retraction, uh, and I wanted to ask you a question about the compound for other uses. Uh, the New England Journal of Medicine and the Lancet uh, retracted their statement that um, – Hydroxychloroquine was ineffective in the treatment of COVID. Um, and it turned out that the company that conducted the research uh, called um, Surgispheres um, could not present, could not, would not, did not refuse to present their data set for external audit. And so uh, that raised the question of the validity of the information and um, they retracted the statement. Essentially, uh, it's what, Donald Trump for whatever disparaging he's getting for many different fronts, but it's what he's uh, called uh, certainly part and parcel of a treatment. And I know I've read and seen plenty of other hospitals in different parts of the world who have used uh, hydroxychloroquine. Uh, What do you think about hydroxychloroquine in and of itself? The actual science shows that it's anti-inflammatory and is helpful for a great variety of kinds of disease, uh, including a virus, uh, in, uh, inflammation, uh, 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 parasites such as uh, malaria. Uh, they all uh, cause damage by creating inflammation, and hydroxychloroquine uh, is protective against uh, all of those inflammations. Uh, not that it's uh, the best one, but uh, it definitely hasn't increased mortality by 10%. And any editor should be expected to send a draft of an article to competent people, for example, respiratory specialists. And any respiratory specialist looking at the data, was it 900,000 cases that they were supposed to be reporting on? Or 90,000, I forget which. But anyway, a, a huge 
database that had never been cited before. Any competent researcher would know that there was something phony and would ask where that database originated and would have immediately found that it was a complete invention and fraud. And we have two more callers. Could we try to get well, them in very I quickly? I didn't think we're going to be able to do it, are we? It's, uh, I think it's four minutes to the top of the hour, correct? Oh, uh, yeah, it is. So let's, let's, let's hold tight on that because I've got one other thing I'd like okay. to say before, before we sign off. I'll so give them the bad news. I'm sorry, callers. Okay, so Dr. Pete, I also wanted to uh, say this. Uh, this also came out in a study that was done on COVID patients that those patients with a higher than 30 nanogram per mil blood level, serum level vitamin D, did significantly better uh, than those who had a level 20 or below were positively correlated with increased death. Um, you all agree with that, correct? Uh, yeah, uh, vitamin D is one of the most important uh, opponents of inflammation. Uh, it it uh, directly uh, prevents the types of inflammation uh, caused by particles or, or coronavirus or influenza uh, and any infl infection, in fact. Good. Okay, well, let's, uh, let's call it, uh, call it good night for this uh, moment, and we'll just give out some more information about you. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Pete. Okay, so for those people to the show, if you'd like to find out more about Dr. Pete, it's R-A-Y-P. Oh my God, I just hung up on the herb doctor there. I'm very, very sorry. Uh, WBM Herb is their uh, phone number. And uh, that was <laughs> a really brutal end of the talk show. Uh, Dr. Uh, Ray Pete can be found at raypeat.com. And uh, here's their theme music. Sorry. Support comes from the Redwood Coast Energy Authority, which wants the community to know that there are a variety of resources to help customers pay their bills, find the right rate plan, and manage their energy use during the current crisis. Visit redwoodenergy.org for complete details or call 707-269-1700 for more information. And once again, that was my fault. I cut off Dr. Well, I cut off both doctors at the end there instead of Dr. Pete. So my apologies for the last 30 seconds of that totally butchered engineering job of the talk show. Well, hopefully Shaka, who is in here to engineer for Shyla. And I've never butchered a talk show in my he life. He has I've never, never butchered. Show, I, yeah. He's never even butchered a chicken as far as I know. Yeah. yeah. But. <laughs> oh, that would be horrible. Yes. So uh, we are Redwood Community Radio, KMUD dot. Sorry, KMUD Garberville, 91.1 FM and HD1, KMUE Eureka, 88.1 FM and HD1, KLAI Laytonville, 90.3 FM, FM Translator, K258BQ in Chelter Cove at 99.5, and live and archived on the web at KMUD.org. 
In six seconds, it will be eight o'clock. We have Shyla and Shaka, but it's really just Shyla. But Shaka's just helping. Shyla's programming. I'm engineering. So enjoy. Thank you.